And center, this is Malibu 55028 Kilo. We're declaring an emergency. We've lost our engine. Malibu 550 Juliet Kilo. Uh, Roger, let me get an airport for you. Thank you. 550 Juliet Kilo. I'm showing at your at your one o'clock and about 22 miles is uh, Harrison Field. It's got 3,200 feet hard surface. Um, that might be your closest option right now. I got the airport on site. We're going there. Thank you. Can you give me the identifiers? It's a uh, should be uh, Foxtrot 75. That's the voice of pilot and flight instructor Anise Shapiro. Hello and welcome to the NACA podcast. I'm Doug Church, Deputy Director of Public Affairs at the National Air Traffic Controllers Association. This is the story of one of our two 2020 Archie League Medal of Safety award-winning events from Fort Worth Center in the Southwest region. Today is part one of the story, told from the perspective of air traffic controllers Larry Bell, Brian Cox, and Colin McKinnon. Part two of the story will be in our next podcast and is an interview with Anise Shapiro. Anise and her student, Joni Usitalo were flying in his Piper PA-46 Malibu on a Saturday last spring from Hereford Municipal Airport southwest of Amarillo, Texas to Graham Municipal Airport 80 miles northwest of Fort Worth, Texas. Halfway into the nearly 75-minute flight, they lost the engine for the first time in Shapiro's 23 years of flying. At 14,500 feet and needing quick options, she declared an emergency to Fort Worth Center and Brian Cox received the call. Brian asked Anise the standard emergency questions of how many souls were on board and how much fuel was remaining. She responded, quote, we have two souls and we have two female pups and four puppies, end quote. Brian's a 22-year veteran who has also worked at Kansas City Center and Denver Center. He knew this would be no ordinary day on position. Here's my conversation with Larry, Brian, and Colin. What I want to do is to introduce our listeners to each of you. Uh, Larry, Brian, and Colin uh, will go in that order. Larry, let's start with you. You entered the FAA in uh, 2012. You've been at Fort Worth Center your whole career. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. Yeah, tell us about uh, about your career and, and uh, your, your your background and how you came into the profession of air traffic control. Uh, sure. Yeah, I was an accountant before that, so I had no aviation or experience or anything like that. And then my when my mom remarried, my new uh, her new mother in law or her new sister in law had a career in the FAA and was a controller in. Little Rock and Amarillo and Lubbock, and then went to the region in Atlanta. So that's how I got involved and I applied and then I got it. So that was interesting and went to Oak City, went through that and then went through the training process here for our center. Took about three years certified, like within uh, three years. And then, yeah, then been a controller the last five years actually became the Bowie area rep two years ago. So I've been doing that the last two years. So it's been an interesting two years to be an area representative with the shutdown and COVID and all that. So it's definitely experienced a lot the last few years. Absolutely. And Brian, uh, you've uh, been in the FAA since 98, started at Denver Center and then transferred to Fort Worth Center in 2012. Do I have that correct? Uh, it's, it's close. Um, I actually started in Kansas City in 98, and was I was there for four years and then to Denver uh, for, I want to say, 10, and then I've been here almost uh, eight years now. Yeah, that's, yeah, that sounds about right. Excellent. Okay. 
And uh, tell, tell me about your background and your interest in, in the profession, how you found your, your, your this career. Uh, it actually started pretty early on. My parents actually, uh, as a kid, we were, uh, I was, uh, was born in, in Oregon and they lived in Portland, but they actually moved when I was uh, four and they moved up to Everett, Washington, which is where Boeing builds their big jets. And basically they still live about a mile and a half from the end of, I think it's one seven right. So we can still see the big jets coming in from when we go visit my parents. So that kind of started my love of aviation. Um, moved to Texas and uh, lived over in Euless, which was still pretty close to Dallas, Fort Worth. And actually my grandfather had been in the FAA since the, uh, I wanna say the mid fifties. And he started in flight service uh, I believe in Tucumcari, and then uh, I want to say, I think he uh, became a controller. Uh, it was in San Juan is where he became a controller, transferred back to Medfis for a little while, and then he actually ended his career out of Fort Worth Center. I believe it was in the early 70s, like maybe 71, 72, when he actually retired. So that's kind of my background. And then I had a couple of friends whose dads actually worked as supervisors uh, out here at ZFW in the, uh, I guess, in the 90s. So I kind of had a little connection there, too. That's very interesting. It, it, back when the facility was somewhat new and not yeah. 60 years old. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you for that. And and Colin, tell us about yourself. Uh, you've also spent your entire career, uh, seven years now, in the, at Fort Worth Center. Is that also correct? Yeah, that's correct. So coming out of the academy and going to Fort Worth Center, tell us about how you how you made your decision to uh, to pursue this as a, as a career. Well, I started really doing flying. That was where I, you know, I always wanted to fly from when I was little, like a lot of pilots. And then going through college with all the airlines going bankrupt, I decided to look at the backup plans. And uh, this became the primary plan through years of change. So then this worked out and been very happy and very lucky to be at Fort Worth for my whole career, as I'm sure. Uh, most people there will tell you, I think we have it pretty good there. So uh, it's worked out pretty good so far. Uh, let's, let's talk about your airspace. Let's talk about this particular area and your in your airspace of jurisdiction that you're responsible for. Kind of set the, the map, as it were, set the set the, the, the tone and the, and the facility as to what you're responsible for and your shift and, uh, and and certainly what how it was like to to work because this happened obviously three months into the pandemic in, in June. What was that like? So I'll leave that up to you all to, uh, to answer that. Um, this is Larry. I can kind of dive into that. Uh, we work in the Northwest corner of Fort Worth center. Uh, so we get the main stream of arrivals from the West coast from, for DFW and Dallas love. And we're a big sequencing area. But we also are big in the military. We have several Air, Air Force bases that we cover. Shepard Air Force Base being the big one. Uh, they fly Westovers and Washtomo in that area. We also have Altus, uh, Fort Sill, um, Vance Approach. So a lot of military going in and out. On this particular day, it was a Saturday, so we didn't have that going on. But and we were kind of combined up because it was the pandemic and it was a little bit slower. Things were starting to pick up at that time, but it, for, on this particular day, it wasn't too uh, busy. So we we did have the Oak City High sector combined up with the low sector since there wasn't any military going on. And that, but on a weekday, it would be pretty busy in that low sector with all the military flying. 
So let's go ahead and set the stage for what transpired here uh, on this on this particular day. We're talking about an, uh, a PA-46 southeast from the northwest. Is that correct? Uh, yes. And and the the destination airport was Graham Municipal Airport, uh, located. Uh, how about how many miles northwest of the of Fort Worth would you say Graham is? Uh, this is Brian. Um, it's I don't know maybe eighty to one hundred miles west of uh, Dallas Fort Worth. And call comes in and she declares an emergency. Um, I was immediately struck by how calm she was in doing so, and and also how calm you were uh, on the other end and, and handling that right away. The essence of was truly exceptional professionalism in the face of such a critical situation that was developing. Can you talk about what happened from that point in, in, in initially when the call came in? And Brian, you're working the position and the one that we heard initially on the radio. Let's start with you and, and they take us through when you first got that call. Yeah, I first got the call. Um, uh, her her calmness, yeah, you're real right. I, she, you know, engine out. She said she was engine out. I realized it was a PA-46. She's only got one. So, um, yeah, the fact she was as calm as she was probably helped me stay calm. I mean, it was the way she just, you know, the way she was able to give us information and then take information from us. It was, she was, she was pretty calm for, pli- for flying a uh, an overweight glider. So, um, it, uh, it it was it was uh, the way the way that she acted as the pilot in command was was really phenomenal. How how easy she made it work. She just went she went right down her checklist, whatnot, whatever that she needed to do. Um, when she first called in on the emergency and said she didn't have an engine, I was just the first thing I was trying to do was all right. Where is the nearest airport? Because unfortunately, where she was at, it was uh, it's kind of in a spot where. Uh, a little bit east of Lubbock there, where there's not a whole lot of airports. Um, and really, I just gave her, a, I believe it was, I don't know if I gave her a direct heading, but uh, I told her that Knox City was, uh, I think it was out maybe like her one o'clock and like 25 miles. I haven't listened to the tapes in quite a while, but uh, I just said, hey, this is probably your closest airport. Um, and I gave her, I think I gave her the the hard surface length and then the, uh, uh, the uh, direction of uh, the runway and just started getting information from that point, uh, you know, how many people on board. Um, and, you know, just that real quick before you continue, because uh, when she initially reported and you asked how many souls on board and she said, two souls, four dogs. Uh, yeah. <laughs> what did, did that strike you at all? It's like, oh, this is different. <laughs> uh, maybe not different, but it's, again, it was, uh, it, it's more of, you know, realizing how, how, calm she was in the face of the actual situation because she obviously i'm guessing probably before she even talked to me she'd probably tried to restart the engine before she called an emergency in and was unsuccessful and to realize that hey you know i may not be able to get this restarted again it was it just kind of i don't know it was kind of helped to move the situation along to where it was uh, it's a little bit of relief almost a little bit of humor you know which was i think probably helpful for everybody start with Larry and then Colin about then how you're brought into this and how you were made aware of this um, when the emergency comes in and kind of take us through how that how then you three became a team to, to handle this. Yeah, this is Larry. Um, I was working the controller in charge position. We didn't have a supervisor that day, so I was in charge of the area at the time. So, yeah, just um, it was a normal lunchtime. And then Brian yeah, said he had a. Uh, an emergency there on his sector. So um, that's when we kind of started 
getting involved and trying to figure out how to help them, just like we would in any other emergency situation. Like Colin was, had I believe he, I believe he had just gone out of position and was about to go on break, and he was just right there. So I was able to just kind of throw him in there and help him out. Yeah, it's it's Brian. It actually worked out. We we got pretty lucky there because Colin, yeah, Joel came and got Colin out, and he happened to be just walking out and heard me mention emergency, and he was able to jump. And we got, it was I was grateful for that fact. We were we were pretty lucky that he was right there and ready to go. Larry and Brian are each of or any or, or either of you, I should say, uh, pilots yourself or just Colin of the three of you. This is Brian. I am not. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I'm not a, this Larry. I'm not a pilot either. And that was why, like, Colin was like the perfect person to throw into that situation because of his flying experience. So it's just a, we just got super lucky and grateful that he was able to go in and help in that situation. Well, Colin, before I ask you about that particular aspect of it, and and really, this is a common thread that we see through 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 so many of our Archie League Award winners through the first 15 years of this program is the number of winners who are pilots that have been able to to really put that expertise and combine it with the controller performance to help ensure a, a safe outcome. So it is a common thread through so many of these emergencies. Before I ask you about that part of it, let's then keep going with the sequence of events. So she's, uh, there's not a, as you said, not a good a nearby airport that uh, as an option. Um, so as you're trying to get her to Knox City, when did it become apparent that she was not even going to be able to make Knox City safely? Well, so this is Colin. Um, first, I'll add, uh, it's it's nice to hear people say it was good to have me around instead of the opposite. So that's, you know, that's always a positive. <laughs> but uh, sometimes you don't always hear that. But, um, no, I think, uh, I think the first thing I was thinking uh, when I saw Brian, he said, you know, oh, this, you know, this lady's got an engine out. And I kind of just saw that, you know, he had basically the Oak City High sector was where all his traffic was. Uh, he, you know, and it's a it's a high overflight, high altitude overflight sector. So there's not necessarily a whole ton of complexity. So based on how we had configured stuff, there happened to be frequencies on the D side. And I just saw him there and I thought, you know what, I could take all this traffic from him. And uh, I think maybe the flying part came that i knew the first thing i want if i'm in a plane is to feel like i'm the center of attention and uh especially in that emergency especially you guys already talked about how calm she was uh, i didn't want to take away from any of that calmness um so the first that's really the first thing i saw frequencies it just clicked in my head to plug in on the d side and take those frequencies and uh that way he could just focus on that plane and then uh, the second thing was, like you said, that's not a place with a lot of airports. I saw, I think I saw Brian clicking up the emergency airport and it's like that feeling of, man, there's, you know, nothing's popping on the scope. But, I, you know, that's why I was looking at the sectional. I think I ran over to where the low altitude sectional chart was uh, down in the corner and just trying to see if there's anything. I think that's how we ended up seeing there was a highway and that was really it. Um, so, yeah, that was and then I just focused on basically work in the high altitude traffic while he focused on trying to do what he could for uh, for her. And it, 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 it's it's definitely awesome that it was Brian working because he's definitely known, he's probably the calmest guy in our building, you know, certainly our area. Um, and so I think that, I think that 
that soothing, calm voice, I think, as, as Doug, as you've gone through a lot of these emergency situations, I think most pilots will say that's sometimes that's the biggest help, especially as controllers, especially in this situation where we feel like we can't really do a whole lot. Sometimes that's, you know, 90% of what we do to affect the situation is just giving them a calm voice, telling them that, you know, a person that's there watching out for them, you know, regardless of, you know, how it ends. But I guess well, that's, that's exactly the, right, because it, you said it perfectly. That that's what the number one thing that they want is the calm voice. And it, even the pilot that I spoke with in the New England um, episode last month stated, look, the controller, it was the controller's voice, Dave Chesley, that gave me the belief that I could survive this. I mean, that was really powerful words by the pilot, and it's shared by so many pilots in these kind of situations. So. The highway we're talking about, we're talking about Highway 114, is that correct? Yes. And so that runs roughly from Seymour, Texas, southeast to Olney, which is northwest of Graham. So in pointing out that that highway, how far ahead was the highway that she could have potentially landed on, which of course now we're talking about north of Knox City? Uh, this is Brian. I'm not actually sure because we don't show it on our maps where the highway was. Um, and I'd, I'd actually, I've forgotten who actually told me, but either it was either Larry or, or Colin had mentioned that 114 is out there. I thought it might have been Larry since he goes back and forth to Lubbock so much because he's a, a Red Raider alum. But um, yeah. yeah, one of the guys had mentioned it. They had the map up for me. Say, hey, tell her 114's out there in that area because it's not actually shown on the scope. So we mm -hmm. just wanted to let her know, hey, that's out there. And okay. The, and the other thing, and I've mentioned it before and to Colin, was he he really made the situation easy because by taking the frequencies and the high altitude, I didn't even have to look up there again. He just talked to everybody, fixed everything. I could just focus on her. To me, that having that done and then having Larry to help out with the map work and then just asking her questions, it, it all, the fact that all three of us were just kind of working together really, really made it work. But Colin breaking off the high really it just all I, did, all I had to do was focus on getting her information and getting information from her at that point, which really, I think, really helped make the situation or at least the outcome as, as, as good as it was because he was able just to relieve me of having to think about separating people now. All I have to do is work on this one. And I think there was another VFR on the frequency on the north side, but I didn't really have to worry too much about them because they were at, fine at that point. So I was able to just focus on the emergency. So really, Colin really helped alleviate any work that I had to do other than just making sure that I could get her the information that she needed. Let's keep the story going as far as the, the point at which the that she was not going to be able to make either Knox City, either Highway 114. So now we're down to Plan D, Delta, <laughs> which is find somewhere to go to land. Uh, this plane's coming down and it needs to land safely. Take us through the sequence of events through the, through the communication with her of how how the landing spot was chosen and, and and then your mindset as you watch this unfold well it's it's brian again and um for us i we were we were hopeful but as as she got lower and lower we weren't we could see it was getting really tight i, I wasn't sure at any point if she was going to make it and we're not going to make the field we're turning towards the highway uh over five thousand julie kilo roger you feel you can make the highway yeah bye okay we're letting people know you're going for the highway. Actually, they're close to us. The winds were just too strong. I'm sorry, say it again. The winds were just too strong. We're going to have to pick one of these fields that's below us. Roger, okay, I understand. 
um, obviously the decision was theirs to land in the field. I guess I believe it was a little bit north of the field, um, but it really it came really at the last moment. She said, "Hey, we're not going to make it." If I remember correctly, again, my I think she turned a little bit back to the north, and I think that's where she found the field. Um, so it uh, the one thing that we were actually able to do, which um, again I wasn't sure how I wasn't sure if she was writing it down or not, but we were actually able to get her her our phone number. Um, and when she was able to land, it was uh, within a minute of when we lost her on the scope, she had actually called us from the ground and said, hey, we're down, we're fine, everybody's good. So that, that was actually a nice relief as opposed to just having it disappear and then waiting for somebody to go out and find them. It was, they, she actually called us in like within a minute of being on the ground. Okay. Yeah. And this is Colin, I'll chime in for a second, but I think if I remember, she had initially said she was turning back for the highway um yeah and that's when she started turning and then i think i think that was kind of the realization because i remember i had we had kind of thought about her descent rate and her speed and then obviously and you know we knew it was going to be tight to knock city uh when we originally kind of calculated that out but then obviously she kind of got lower her speed just dropped slower and slower and that's when you know it it, it was pretty obvious uh you know, another plan was going to have to take place, but I think she had said she was going to turn for the highway. And that's probably when she realized, you know what, um, just going through the pilot thought, and that's why it'll be really interesting. I wish I could talk to her. Um, uh, yeah. So it'll be interesting to hear her thoughts. But my guess is she probably saw that field. And I, I, I went and looked on Google Maps. I'm just like, I'm a curious mind. So I went and looked on Google Maps afterwards, and it seemed like basically there's kind of some rougher terrain and then like a river. And then you still got another like four or five miles to the airport past that. So my guess is she started seeing all that and she saw a clear enough field below her that that's where she started to turn back. And then when she saw the highway was too far, she just decided, you know, this is the best, option, which is perfect, you know, piloting. You know, you always got to make sure you have somewhere the safest option is, is, is a, you know, is a nice level field. And, it, you know, as long as you have that as your backup, you know, you want to always keep that in range. Um, so, I, I, you know, I can't say enough about, you know, at least from my point of view, how awesome of a job she did. And I think I was the one that answered when she called on the ground. And uh, I was, I, th I think you probably hear it in my voice. I just remember like, like, thank God, you know, th thank God. Former Center Oak City Falls Low. We're safe on the ground. Oh, thank God. Okay, well, uh, we got people coming to you, so you should have okay. some sort of police or something out there. Okay, thank you. All right. Thank Center, feet off 430, take a mile with 360. Okay, thank you. Thank you so much for your help. Oh, no, you did awesome. Good job. Thank you. All right, we'll, we'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Yeah, okay, thank you. I had actually, like, four months ago before this, maybe it was, I mean, COVID makes everything seem like it was, you know, yesterday but um it's probably longer than that but i had had a guy have engine trouble going into only which is near graham i remember the same feeling like that ended up working out great and it ended up not being anything because he ended up having at least partial power and making it to the runway and i just remember that same type of feeling like oh man i just like please just you know make sure she's on the ground safely and i, I think i remember her saying it's just really hot and that just kind of switched me to the next point which was okay, we got to make sure people get to her. Like, you know, we got to make sure people find her. Um, but yeah, I just, I, th I thought she, this whole time, I, th I thought she did an exceptional job and it's, we've had uh, similar engine out situations that don't end as well. Um, and uh, 
you know, the pilot has a lot to do in that situation and she did a, you know, an awesome job and I, I wish I could talk to her. Um, maybe I will eventually, but so it'll be cool yeah. to hear her thoughts at least. So the, the final part of this, of course, is that you're getting help to her. Um, so after she, you know, obviously what a relief uh, to, to get that phone call from her that, that she's, she's on the ground. Um, what's the process then as far as making sure um, rescue personnel can get out to the field quickly and, and getting word to them? Uh, this is Larry. I was involved in a lot of that. I had to, once the track dropped off, you know, I had to go and get the lat longs. That way we had a good approximate idea of where she was at. So I was able to grab that from the scope and then relay that to the operation manager and the whole time while this was happening me and the ops manager were we were uh, working on contacting the correct people and we got i believe we finally got a hold of the knox county just the police department there and they were already working on getting to the airport and getting that all sorted out and then yeah then we were able to give them the lat longs and i'm not sure how long it took them to get out there but Hopefully it was in a reasonable amount of time. And one thing I didn't ask you at the outset, uh, and I haven't been able to find this out yet, is what was the altitude that she was at when she first declared the emergency and lost her engine? Uh, it's Brian. I I haven't looked at the Falcon. I, I thought it was 11.5 because she was VFR. Okay. I think either was that or either maybe 13.5. She was up to where she could glide a little ways, which was definitely yeah. helpful in this case. Yeah. yeah, this is Colin. I think by the time I sat down over there, she was still definitely, I think, right around 10,000 feet is what I remember. So, she, yeah, I think I made that remark to Brian before. But, you know, it's definitely lucky in that area that she was as high as she was because, um, there was, you know, she was not in a good area for options for sure. Yeah, and it occurs to me the time we've been on the this – this call is uh, about three times as long as the event actually took, right? About eight yeah. minutes. Doesn't feel like it. <laughs> <laughs> it felt so that was my next we question. Sitting there, <laughs> uh, you just answered exactly what I was going to ask you. Was was uh, I'm sure in the heat of that moment, it probably felt like a lot, lot longer. Is there any more you want to add about that? Actually, yeah. This is Brian. Yeah, seconds felt like minutes. It really did. Um, and for me, the, another part of this is after the fact just having a chance to reflect on it it was it, it for me i was frustrated a little bit not with anybody or anything it was just um i i just i felt like i couldn't do anything i mean i was it is it i felt helpless is really kind of what it is 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 really what i'm trying to say i guess is it i know i helped her get to the airport there's you know I, this is where it is this is your best chance you know get the information but it's when you have a medical emergency, you can move other planes and get guys going fast. You can get everybody out of their way. I, it's, for me, it was, it, it was, it was a little bit frustrating because I couldn't. There's nothing else I could do, and that part it it it, it bothered me. No, I mean this is Colin. Same same exact thoughts. You know and that's why you're just trying to scramble to do whatever you think you can do to help them out um, by finding stuff, making sure people are getting to them. I, so I, I you know. Yeah, yeah, very similar situation. This is Larry, and I think we all agree, like, yeah, if we have an aircraft land in the field, we all sit there and think afterwards, what could we have done better? Could we have done anything? What other move could we have made? 
you know, to for this to prevent this? Like, was there another airport, you know, or could we made another recommendation or something like that? But in this situation, I think we made all the right calls, and I think everyone did their job perfectly. Brian was calm, Colin took the frequencies away and was a good assist there. And the pilot was calm and had all her options available. So, but yeah, we all, but we're perfectionists and we always want to do better the next time. And we were all sitting there afterwards, like, is there anywhere else we could have got her to land on a runway? So that's just part of the job and we all learn from it. Yeah, absolutely. There's always that and you, your, your sentiments are shared by so many of your brothers and sisters who I've talked to about these kinds of events is the the afterwards uh, and thinking about it and analyzing it. And, and that's what makes you you better next time. Right. I mean, the professionalism and the, and the standards that you keep to, to always want to improve is uh, something that I think is the hallmark of, of this profession. Um, let me wrap up with just a couple of more questions here real, real briefly is uh, and the first one is, you know, what did, how, what are you what are your thoughts about? Uh, receiving this award, uh, representing the Southwest region in, in this awards program. Uh, what are what are your thoughts as you reflect on that? Um, it's Brian. Um, for me personally, it's an honor, um, especially uh, you know that they would uh, that they would look at that. I mean, we're we're doing our job. This is kind of you know this is what we do. It's what we're supposed to do. And I was I was grateful to have Colin and Larry. And even Joel in there to, you know, to, even though he, cause he got calling out, Joel actually, you know, helped out too because, you know, he was, Colin was available to help me out and it, you know, it all, it all worked well. It's, it's an honor to be, to be, uh, to, to have the award and to, you know, to work with Colin and Larry and everybody else. It's, I mean, for me, it's, uh, it's, it's, I absolutely appreciate it. Um, you know, we all work hard and it is, it's just, you know, thank you. This is Colin. Um, you know, originally it's it's hard not to feel a little undeserved um, uh, just naturally <laughs> because I feel like, you know, we all just did our job and I think a lot of it was the pilot and she just did an exceptional job and thankfully it was a good outcome, which makes the award feel better um, uh, or I guess makes the award feel okay, I guess. Uh, but that outcome had a lot to do with her. Um, so it's, you know, I guess I'm, uh, I go in between feeling both ways but obviously it's it's always great to um feel like people uh i guess at least respected the job you did or what you did um you know i i would i, I you know there ha there has been situations other controllers have dealt with which i felt like they did a uh you know a great job and maybe didn't get as much recognition maybe because the situation didn't work out as great or um you know, it didn't, or they end up getting their engine back or, you know, it ends up working out differently. Um, but maybe the controller I felt did an awesome job in that situation. So it's, you know, there is a two ways, but I guess, you know, at the end of the day, it's, it's, it's always good to feel uh, like you did a good job. Um, but like Brian says, it's, it's also good to know. I think we do work in a great area with a lot of really good people uh, and certainly, on our side of the schedule, the, the guys we work with, I think we're all real um, close, whether we disagree or agree on stuff, we're always, you know, I think we work really, really well together. And I think that uh, that played a huge, a huge part in how this worked out as well. This is Larry. I would just echo a lot of the same sentiments. The 
we all felt like we were just doing our job that day and the result that happened was part of that and we were we're real grateful to have the award and i think brian and colin are underselling themselves a little bit just classic examples of professionalism brian so calm in that situation and colin as well just being a guide helping brian out and just great to work with them they're both great controllers and i was glad to be a part of it thank you brian. each of you it's brian again it's, i just i i agree with colin too the the out, we definitely helped the outcome the pilot she was absolutely phenomenal to work with just she was she really knew her stuff and I, she had you know she had to fly the plane and she she really did an amazing job flying the plane she helped i think her calmness helped keep everybody else calm and hopefully vice versa we were able to just kind of keep everybody focused and working and Hopefully we were both able to, she was, she did an incredible job of, of getting that plane to the ground safely. Here's Fort Worth Center NACA FAC rep, Nick Daniels, who was understandably proud of his members. I just, I just wanted to say, uh, a, a huge thank you to you uh, for doing this. I know you gave credit to Kelly Richardson for the idea, but, um, you know, obviously I also want to thank the three of them for Larry, Colin and Brian for being such outstanding ambassadors and representation of uh, the true definition of a, a team a workforce and uh you know professionals that that stepped into to rise to the moment that was needed and couldn't be more proud couldn't be more proud to be a part of the facility uh, you know representing them and uh they they, they make us all look good and it, like i said they, they're going to say it's a you know just another day's work because I know it is to them, and no controller sits down to plug in to say, man, I can't wait to be a, a news story today. But at the same time, uh, I, I know that each one of these guys holds their head high in the job that they do, and couldn't be more impressed uh, by the story they told. I, did, I didn't even know uh, a lot of what had happened until listening to this. So I want to thank them uh, for being who they are and being part of this union and uh, representing us all so well. My thanks to Larry, Brian, Colin, and Nick for sharing their stories and perspective on this incredible event. And thanks to all of you for listening to this episode of the NACA Podcast. I'm Doug Church. Please stay safe, and we look forward to sharing our next story with you.